HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Real Good Engineering Insurance. Do your drawings look like your dog ate them, but they have to go out to bid anyway? Wish you had a better in-house QAQC. Have sleepless nights wondering what you missed on your last design? Well, stop worrying and give the folks over at Real Good Engineering Insurance a call. You can really forget about it. Your troubles, that is. Because we know somebody who knows somebody who can fix your situation real good. No need for lawyers or arbitrators when you have the good fellas over at Real Good Engineering Insurance on your side. Oh, yeah. And just to be clear, make sure you pay your renewals on time if you catch my drift. Don't want anything bad happening to you. Welcome back, Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week I'm either sharing information and lessons learned from the field or talking with industry experts. Uh, but I don't stop there, I want to encourage each and every one of you to double down on your weekly helping of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to HVAC360.com and joining my growing community of people just like you. All right, so what's up for this week? This week we're going to talk to Butch Asbell, who is a HVAC instructor and who also really has a lifetime of experience in the service and maintenance industries. So um, we're not going to talk too much more about it. Let's just cut to the tape with Butch Asbell. All right, today we're talking with uh, Floyd Butch Asbell, who is a HVAC instructor. How are you doing today, Butch? I'm doing wonderful. So today, how are you? Good. So today we're talking right, about we're talking about maintenance and service. So why don't you give your uh, give the audience a little taste of your background in, in service and maintenance? All right, uh, I am a uh, retired Coast Guard. Uh, Machinery technician and chief warrant officer. I went through the enlisted ranks. I started out peeling potatoes and uh, ended up working in the engine room and in the auxiliary division on uh, uh, carrier and York chiller systems and uh, uh, hot chill water systems and Johnson boilers and Clayton boilers, uh, Clayton steam generators. Uh, so on board ship in the Coast Guard, we were pretty much a um, maintenance and repair because when you're 200 miles offshore, uh, you can't call a service tech to come out and fix something on the boiler or on the chiller. Uh, so I got my taste of working in the HVAC trade in the, in the Coast Guard. I was mainly a diesel engine mechanic, but part of our rating was working on refrigeration, the walk-in boxes, uh, the ice machine, the milk machine, anything dealing with refrigerant, we, we handled and worked for and worked on. And then when I retired out of the Coast Guard, I uh, worked for Carrier Corporation as a counterman and uh, phone center uh, guy where you just call in and got parts for cast iron compressors and stuff like that. And then I opened my own business, uh, CWO Services, which was the uh, my rank in the Coast Guard, Chief Warrant Officer. So I opened up uh, CWO Services. It's just me and a helper. 
and we did residential and light commercial uh, system installs, change out, new installation, uh, repair, replacement, that kind of thing. And then um, when I uh, moved back home, I was in Memphis, Tennessee. I moved back home in Maryland. I started as a maintenance technician for the public schools, the Worcester County, Maryland public schools. And I was in maintenance when the actual HVAC instructor got tragically killed and uh, in a car wreck. And they asked me to start teaching HVAC to high school kids. And um, I reluctantly went over to help them out because they were hurting to find somebody that would teach them. And I ended up falling in love with it. I'm still doing it today. And this is going into my 16th year teaching uh, HVAC to young kids that uh, may or may not have made it in life if they didn't learn a skill. Uh, and I've been able to successfully change the, the path of some young folks. So um, that's pretty much my background in service and maintenance as far as my experience goes um, in uh, working on residential for the last probably 20 years. But my commercial experience uh, was pretty much all in the Coast Guard. So now, I mean, it, it's it's excellent. And I mean, obviously, you know, we've had a couple of different uh, different career paths that we've kind of gone through. Um, some of the audience might under, uh, realize some of the past episodes on HVAC 360. We've done everything from service reps to uh, getting a little bit of a taste of tab uh, more recently. But uh, this is going to be the first kind of foray into the maintenance and service. So what, what sort of knowledge and skills um, are you going to be, you know, are you going to be possessing when you enter the field as a, as a uh, service technician? Or what should you possess? Well, it depends. Uh, uh, the biggest thing is, thing more so than anything, is uh, a little bit of a mechanical ability. But the, the big thing we're finding now in the industries, you know, all over the board, every trade, is a willingness to work and learn and to actually do some work and, and study and learn your trade and learn your craft. Um, you will learn uh, what you need to do, what you need on the job. Often uh, an employer would much rather have somebody with great customer skills, customer service skills and soft skills and reliability than knowledge in the most part, um, because they can teach you the knowledge if you're teachable. But if, if you come into the trade and you think you know everything after you've been to a a 16-week program, uh, you got another thing coming because I'm like 61 and I'm still, you know, amazed by the stuff I don't know in the trade. And it's changing so rapidly that uh, now uh, a service tech or maintenance tech entering the trade, you need a good foundation of technology because everything is, is revolving around uh, technology now. Um, the days of just a simple contactor and capacitor uh, are gone. Uh, now, with all the monitoring and the IP addressing that you have to do to just tell the unit what it is when you install it is, is mind-boggling to old parts like me. So one of the, I guess I, I guess I would say the most important skill to possess when you enter the field is, is the desire to be on time, work 
like dispose the work and uh, learn from your mistakes and uh, be a team player. Uh, those are real important. Um, and uh, obviously, it's important to have a knowledge, a mechanical knowledge or ability to be able to be working straight. I get high school kids uh, that I'm amazed that they have first, you know, made it to 14, 15, 16 years old and don't know anything that kids of my era knew like the back of their hand um, because they're being raised by single parents or in most cases, sing, you know, a single grandparent is raising them. Uh, it's, it's pretty sad. I don't know what the industry is going to look like in the future. So if you're, if you're a new person coming in, um, I would say come with an open mind and come with uh, the willingness to learn and your earnings and potential will be unlimited. Yeah. And that's, that's the nice thing. I mean, when you, you were talking about um, uh, earlier before we got on the, uh, the, the interview, you had a couple of students uh, recently. You want to talk about those two students that, uh, that you had uh, at uh, uh, doing some internships? Yeah, I sure, I sure will. Um, we have a program in our county where they get a grant to fund uh, a student to work 26 hours a week for minimum wage. So what we do is we go out to local contractors and say, look, we've got 26 hours worth of pay for an HVAC uh, student to work for you. If you want them to work them 26 hours and that, that's it, that's fine. If you want to pick up the tab for the rest of the week, that's fine too. So we kind of take our our sophomores and our juniors and, and incorporate them out to local businesses and they don't have to pay, you know, health or life insurance. They're insured under the school. Um, the, the school has their own insurance plan on them. And then the kid gets a, an opportunity to see if it's the right fit for them. Do they really want to do it? And then the contractor gets to figure out, well, I, he's got a pulse. He shows up to work. He helps hang duck work. Um, you know, I can, I can definitely use him and then make a decision at the end of summer whether they want them back next summer or whether they want to take him on full time. And uh, it's just uh, phenomenal that I just uh, got two more students this year out doing that. Uh, one is a sophomore, or he was a sophomore. He'll be a junior this year. And he was involved in Skills USA. He went and competed. Uh, he had very limited skills, probably about, I think we had about nine months to work with him, uh, two hours a day, an uh, hour and a half a day, actually. And uh, he went in and competed against some kids that were in programs that were two and three years old, two and three year long programs, and did fairly well. Um, and then the other student that went, uh, he's hired full time for a local company and doing quite well and loving it. And uh, I thought both of them were going to bail out when we had the heat wave a couple weeks ago, where it was, a, you know, guys were posting on Instagram thermometer readings of 135 degrees up in the attic. And I thought these two young boys that I got working in the trade, I uh, was going to get a call from the contractor saying, well, they didn't show up to work today, but both of them did and they still are and they're still working. I'm very proud of them. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and it's not like, you know, right now they're making minimum wage, which, you know, you could say, hey, you know, you made mention that 
um, you know, 130 degrees in the in the attics. I mean, this is just conditions that, yeah, you're you're going to experience when it's hot. It's going to be the flip side when it gets cold. But you know, they could be working at McDonald's at this, you know, in the same uh, and earning the same amount. But you really have to look at the long term, the long game uh, when you're talking about careers like this, because it's not going to be minimum wage for long. That's you're you're gonna you're gonna yeah. far excel far exceed what you could probably do, you know, at you know at a fast food job. So I always tell them to look at the, look at the owner of the company. I said, look how many boats he's got, how many four wheelers he's got, uh, where he goes on vacation, and then determine whether you want to stick with McDonald's or whether you want to stick with HVAC, uh, because I can guarantee you that owners of HVAC corporations and companies are doing quite well. Exactly. No, that's a, that's a, that's a good, you know, <laughs> you know, even if you look at franchise owners of fast food companies, I don't think you're going to see the same type of, uh, right. it's not going to equate the same way. No way. Yeah. So what do you, what do you tell your uh, students to expect, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis going out in, in the service field? Well, when I, I tell them to first go on a job, I, I always tell them that they may be washing the owner's car. They may be putting up a fence. They may be working in the attic doing HVAC. But if they're, they're told to go work putting up the owner's fence in his yard, go do it. Because you're an apprentice and you're just he's, he's keeping you employed, for one. So he's not letting you go without pay. Um, he may not have an HVAC job for you that day, but he will maybe that afternoon or maybe the next day. So he, if, if he gives you a job that you don't agree with or don't think that it's HVAC related, just give it time because you're going to definitely be doing HVAC. So I had a kid one time was complaining. He had to put in post, uh, dig post holes. And I said, did you get a paycheck? He said, yeah. I said, then what are you complaining about? So you're not an expert. HVAC expert, your HVAC apprentice. So give it time. He's probably trying to buy you out. See what how how much uh, pain and suffering you'll take before you cash it in and uh, decide to keep you around. So I tell him to expect something that like that to happen, and then I tell him to expect to be in the attic in the crawl spaces, uh, being a helper. And the more that they know, the more they'll let you do. So if you just come in my class and you don't really study it after hours you don't look youtube videos you don't watch anything you don't look in a book you don't look in the trade journals rses magazines because i get them all set up with rsc rses journals in their first year Uh, they allow students uh one one year free subscription and I, i make those assignments like homework assignments bring in an article that you researched and i'll give you extra credit those kind of things so when they get into the trade, they kind of got a good idea what to expect on a job that they're going to be pretty much a helper. And what really makes or breaks them is if they're just standing there watching the technician work. They have to be able to, in their mind, think what he needs next. If you can see he's getting ready to take two pipes apart, go get the wrenches. If you see he needs a screwdriver, get the screwdriver. Don't just stand there and wait for him to ask you to get that, that you need need to be active and part of the part of the job and not just standing there waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great advice to to be able to, you know, push things along instead of getting pulled along in, in, in any sort of uh, fashion. Right. Yeah. So now, um, yeah. I, I guess... Or on their... Yeah. One, one thing that... I was getting ready to say, or on their cell phone, oh. you know. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so now let's talk about a, a little bit of... Um, um, in your in your experience, um, do you get a lot of uh, 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 female participation in your programs? I mean, is that is that something that that you work to uh, try to increase, or how do, how does that work out in your district? In Somerset, I get a lot. I get an average of two to three females per class. In Worcester, I taught there in Worcester County, Maryland. I taught there for twelve years. And I think I had three females and one just took it as an elective and only stayed a year. Um, and then two actually completed the whole program and neither of the two went into the trade. But in um, Somerset, I have an average of two to three females per class, which really surprises me. And I had one girl last year or year before last uh, compete in plumbing at Skills USA. And then I had a girl this year completed competed in major appliance repair and refrigeration and won third place at Skills USA Nationals. So I was like, wow, I, you know, um, I wasn't I wasn't used to having a female in every class that I have taught. And for the three years I've been in Somerset, I've had a female in every class that I taught. And I'm pretty sure I got two coming in this year and I still have two from last year. So now, I mean, is that is that something that you know? It's it seems like there there should be like a magic number. I mean, obviously, two two is a good start. If you have one, um, it doesn't seem like there's there's the support structure that that anyone you know um, anyone female would would want. If they have two or more, that seems a little bit you know a little bit better f- for them. Right, right. Yeah, they uh, we don't have a minimum, although they do try to try to make it to where there are, there are two per class in the, one of the trade programs because we've had them take construction too, which is masonry and carpentry merged together. And we've had, uh, we always have a, a two or three in auto, in auto mechanics. Mm-hmm. But in HVAC, um, I've had just one, girl, one, stu- one female student before and I've had up to three. Um, so it works better when there is two females in the class because they don't feel so isolated. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about it. If you were the only guy going to a, a trade class, you know, and everything, everyone, every, everybody else in there was females, be kind of awkward. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I would have a tendency to see is it, it would be more awkward, but I, I don't know if men could tolerate it more. Probably up to a point, there might be some certain things I'm not I'm not thinking about. But I think that at least the the initial support structure of having more than one, you know, I mean, it, and and it's with any you know any industry, whether it be you know service maintenance or engineering. I think that that certainly helps that you know there's there's that support group for them. So yeah, I, it's also dependent on the on the person. I have seen females that will go toe to toe with an, any dude any day. Um, and not think twice about it. Um, my wife, for example, she's uh, worked in the mail industry most of her life. She was a, a 
office manager and dispatcher for 52 trucks and uh, one of the major uh, companies in Memphis, Tennessee. And, you know, she worked in an office with nothing but men. And here she is in Maryland and she's working for one of the largest electrical contractors in an office, nothing with men. And the word around the, the farm is you do not mess with Miss Kathy. You know, the technicians know that. So, you know, she is not afraid to go toe to toe with them. And plus, you know, she has a little and she controls their payroll. So um, she has a little advantage over them. Yeah. But I mean, she knows the mechanical, technical terms just like the rest of them. You know, she and she's learned electrical because most of her career was in HVAC. Mm-hmm. So if, if you told her you needed a contactor, she knew what the heck you were talking about. You right. know? Yep. So, I mean, comp- competence and knowledge is, it definitely goes a long way. Yeah. So, so tell me, right. what, what are some of the challenges nowadays uh, occurring in the, the service field? Um, well, I think everybody would agree is finding competent, qualified people to do it. Um, that is a big challenge in every trade. And um, the challenges of getting people to buy in on maintenance. Um, you know, they want the, everything to be lowballed. Like, how much is this going to cost me? And, you know, it's pay me now, pay me later type of thing. So, you know, I can give you the, I can give you a, a discount, but, and we can put a Band-Aid on it, but eventually it's going to, you know, it's going to hurt you in the long run, you know? So I don't, um, I really don't know the answer. Um, I don't know what uh, other challenges there are in the, in that aspect other than everybody's crying. They can't find good help. Yeah. What about, uh, any sort of certifications that, uh, that are, are getting tougher? Um, the more, uh, certifications you can get for somebody entering the, the field, the better, uh, it shows initiative that you, you actually did something and there's, ton of them now that you can just get online for free and do them. Uh, Taco University is one. Taco Flow Pro University. I have my students do that. And it goes over the hydronic equation. And um, they got certificates they can print out. It's all free. Um, The track piping, uh, the gas tight, gas tight track, I call it track piping, but gas tight has their own uh, stainless corrugated stainless steel certification for running those. So a student, just a student coming out of my program gets the, uh, NCCER, which is national construction education resource, uh, resource education certification. Um, and they're, they're certificates for each chapter and overall course in core, core curriculum and HVAC level one. So they, a high school student comes out with that certification. They also get an OSHA 10 card, so they get that certification. I do the EPA test, so they come out with an EPA certification. And the gas uh, gas line in, installation of the stainless steel corrugated uh, uh, pipe, they get that certification. And then I can also do NATE, uh, um, the NATE entry-level exam for high school kids or the ICE exam, either one of them. And I only offer those two up to a high flyer that really wants to do HVAC. They 
they study, I know that they'll be able to pass the test because for the most part, uh, the quality and caliber of the students I have, um, don't, they don't, the pass rate is very low on the ICE exam, industry conference exam. If you didn't know what that was. Okay. Um, so, you know, but any certification that you can grab and get, uh, especially in plumbing too. I mean, if you can get backflow preventing, backflow preventer, uh, gas line installer, um, because I, I try to teach my kids electrical, plumbing, and HVAC with a concentration on HVAC. So um, I don't care really whether they go out and become a cable installer uh, as long as they're a productive member of society and they're not robbing people and, and um, you know, living with my mom and papa. Right. Now, I heard the, uh, the, EPA, certif- the EPA certification test. Um is getting yeah. a little bit more challenging. Uh, yeah, it sure is. I was uh, I was surprised. Uh, you know, I kind of took it lackadaisical uh, when I first administered it, and uh, boy, it threw me for a loop. I had to I had to uh, pull my bootstrings up and and re re uh, design my curriculum to because uh, I had flashcards made up. I had games that we played. And there's a plethora of stuff online that is now outdated, and it's even changing as we speak, probably. So uh, all that stuff, uh, if you look, teach something wrong the first time, it's hard to retrain them and teach them right. So if you if you if you teach it something, then you go, oh my God, it's changed. It's not it's not on the test anymore. It was a wasted time. So uh, an instructor really has to be up on his game when they on uh, a proctor has to be up on the game with this new test because there's a lot in there that has been changed and a lot that's new, um, new material. So I, and my pass rate um, was pretty low. It, I had six students take it this past year. I had six, six seniors stick with me. Uh, one of them, one, I had nine students, but six of them ended up finishing the course. One, of course, got incarcerated. One just dropped the program, and then one moved out of county. And then I ended up with six. And of those six that took the exam, one did not pass the exam. The rest all got universal. But it took multiple attempts. Nobody, nobody, none of the six got it on their first try. And how many? And that was unusual. That's unusual for high school because my preparation for it, I I'd almost used a whole month of a hour and a half a day so i concentrate at least a month of going over strictly epa stuff and reading the book and then doing practice exams and practice quizzes and online tests and then we finally say okay this is going to be the day we do it and i was just hoping that somebody would pass it first time around nobody did so how many shots do they get at it they get five tries with uh the particular uh tests that I'm using now with uh, ESCO, which if you can't get it five times, you better go back to McDonald's <laughs> and work, work the French fryer, you know? So what have been some of the biggest changes in that test? You said, I mean, there's a lot of them, but any, you know, highlight a couple of them. I mean, is it, is it refrigerant? Is it? Uh, it's the types of refrigerants, the ones that are flammable, um, the um, conversions and, uh, how to do a proper conversion uh, from one refrigerant to the other, and uh, the standards. 
some of the standard questions. I can't think of them right t- top of my head uh, like that because it's it's even still new to me. I've only given it twice now, uh, year before last and this year, and uh, I always have to brush up on it now. Where before, I, you know, I guess once you teach it twelve years, you got it down pat. But when you only did it twice, uh, there's a lot that you got to remember and add in. But I would say the flammable refrigerants, the categories and classifications of the refrigerants, and um, the timelines. Uh, they, the one thing they did do is they did away with a bunch of the date questions. They they, they lightened up on that. Um, but they still kept that daggone dollar charge on there. I don't know why, but they still, they still kept that question um, about uh, when filling a dollar charge, what do you do with the, the vapor that you vent from the top and you recover it? Of course, you don't vent it, but nobody uses a dollar charge that I know of since the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let, let's, let's change gears a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about maintenance and maintenance careers. Now, how would you describe the difference between service and maintenance as a career choice? Um, well, maintenance, if you're maintenance, you're, you're going to be at one facility and stay in there. You're going to be maintenance at a particular, uh, company or corporation, and you're going to be doing maintenance right there, like at a chicken plant. A poultry processing plant or a food processing plant. You're going to be the maintenance guy to maintain the plant's operation. A service uh, uh, position is going to be somebody that comes in when the maintenance man can't handle it. So when it's above the maintenance man's head or the maintenance man is just swamped with work and can't, can't get to it. There were times in the school system that we'd have three heat exchangers to change out and two compressors and three guys. So we would hire a, a company come in. They'd send the service team out to help us out to, you know, get the, get the work done. So I kind of distinguish the services, somebody coming in that um, is going to service that unit and get it back up online. And maintenance is going to be the guy that's there with that unit every day, maintaining it, keeping it running. I guess that's the best that I would describe it. Now, I mean, what sort of uh, different skills, knowledge sets um, are required? I mean, is there anything different than uh, what you teach somebody going into service specifically? Um, I would say if you're going into service, you're going to have a little bit more up on your game than a maintenance guy, depending depending on the person. Actually, because I've seen some maintenance men that are phenomenal uh, and maintenance, you know, technicians that are, you know, leaps and and bounds above my technical ability. And then I've seen some maintenance men that are just that. They're maintenance men. They know how to change filters, light bulbs. Uh, They know where the cutout valves are. They know where the circuit breakers are, that kind of thing, where a service technician would be lacking on that side because he's never been in the building before and he's going to rely on the maintenance guy say, okay, well, where's your, your breaker panels and where is this at? Where's that at? And the, uh, maybe it's the continuity. Uh, if you're in the maintenance aspect, you're going to have the continuity that you've been to that place. Uh, you go there every day and the service guy, he may be there for the first time and not know anything and have to, uh, figure everything out and start from scratch. 
So I don't know, I guess kind of the hierarchy would be a, a maintenance tech and then, then maybe a service tech and then a service manager. Right. So, I mean, and, and I think that's important to note that, you know, when we talk about service, when we talk about maintenance, it, it's not just it's not just one thing. Um, you know, at least from my perspective, I know that maintenance, you could be you could be in residential, you can be in commercial. Um, and those are two vastly different, uh, different things when it comes to service. Um, as far right. as, and, and maintenance, you could be the same way. It could be somebody from that was, that more closely resembles a janitor. And then there's somebody who is in a large industrial plant where you, <laughs> you know, everything about that plant and you are constantly monitoring it. Right. Yeah. When I got out of the Coast Guard, um, I job hopped for a couple of jobs so I found something I really like to do. And, uh, when I got out, I, w- I had a desk job. I was pushing a desk. I wore a tie every day and I, I hated it. I was uh, responsible for seven Coast Guard inland river tenders in the lower Mississippi River. And when I got out, I was like, well, nobody's going to hire me to be a desk jockey. I'm going to have to go back into my tool bag. And I went and I became a maintenance man at an apartment complex. And it was for the elderly. I like to warm me out. Almost killed me. <laughs> and then I was like, I got to get out of this. So I went to be a maintenance. It was a maintenance engineer for J.C. Penney, the brand new store at the mall. So I get in there and find out that a maintenance engineer is not a maintenance engineer. The maintenance engineer is a floor care technician and a bathroom cleaner, you know. And I, I was hired to be a maintenance manager. To I, I thought I was going to be changing light bulbs, uh, keeping the store, t- ceiling tiles, you know replaced any mechanical issues moving cash registers around i ended up being a glorified janitor and i quickly got out of that and luckily got back into hvac with carrier so um yes when you see uh even now today when you look for jobs on indeed um because i'm testing the waters to semi-retire and do something other than teach public school and i was looking around and some of these jobs that are, they, they put a label on it. Like you're going to be, you know, CEO of the company and all you are going to, all you're going to be is, you know, a peon. Right. Yeah. You got to look a little bit deeper uh-huh. into the, uh, those job descriptions. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, job descriptions are catchy. You're like, Oh, this sounds like really a high tech, cool job. And then you find out it's not. So I guess what what some what are some of the words of wisdom that you give your students, you know, entering entering these fields of service and maintenance? Oh boy. Don't be afraid to call somebody and say that you don't know something. Um cuz that'll get you in a jackpot. I always tell them, you know, I'm 61 and I've been fixing stuff all even in the womb, I had to straighten up the umbilical cord. Mom had me straightening that thing up. So um, I've been fixing and rearranging stuff all my life, and I still will have to call somebody or another contractor. It could be you're just having a brain fart, and it could be the simplest thing right in front of your face that you've seen 10 times before, but you can't figure it out at this one home or is this one uh, company or this one rooftop you're on. Uh, you just can't figure it out. And somebody else, uh, talking to you or another set of eyes. Uh, so that would be one thing is 
uh, don't be afraid to call somebody and ask questions. And because uh, students today, uh, they tend to think they can find everything on YouTube, you know, figure something out on YouTube. And that's not that I try to, I try to steer them away from that. Um, there's only a few uh, people that I would recommend watching some of their, uh, their videos and service techs and uh, Brian Orr at HVAC school. If you haven't ever subscribed to his podcast or uh, his daily tech tips, um, then you, you got, you got to get it because, uh, him and Jim Bergman, another one, uh, two of the most smartest, talented, uh, guys I've encountered in HVAC. Um, so I had to get a shout out to both of them because, uh, every time I go to HVAC instructor conference, uh, I feel stupid, uh, when I come home because of the talent that we have in our, uh, in our industry. And, um, if you're afraid to ask them something because you'll look stupid, then you're really stupid for not asking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Never, never stop asking questions. Yeah. So, and the other thing is I, I tell them, don't set your goals low. Uh, but then on the other hand, I'm, I try to steer them towards what do you really want to do? What is your, what is really going to make you happy? If installing ACs for a lifetime makes you happy, do it. Because there's guys that have done it and fed their family and have had a productive life. And they couldn't tell you how AC works, but they know how to put them in. And then there's guys that all they've ever done is service. There's there's men 80 years old still out there in a truck running around doing service. They may not have ever wanted to own a business. So you really got to focus on what's your end goal. Do you want to be a business owner? Do you want to just be a technician? Do you want to just be an installer? Nothing wrong with any of those. I try to instill in them that, you know, whatever makes you happy inside your own skin, that's what you need to concentrate on. Right. Because, I mean, you're going to have a lifetime of learning, so you might as well pick something you're interested in. Yes. All right, so I got to ask you this <laughs> this million dollar question. Um, since there's a lot uh-huh. of a lot of engineers that listen to the podcast, what would you? What, is there anything you'd like to tell the engineers or the architects, um, really, to think more about when they're designing? What what sort of things would you say? Hey, you know what? Think about this more. Just just a little bit more. Um. First off, I got to say hats off to them for going the, the above and beyond and and uh, pursuing the uh, design and uh, um, fabrication and all that that goes into developing a system. And uh, hats off to you guys for that. But as far as the, the end user, the guy that's putting it in, um, go walk a, walk a day in their shoes. And I'll give you an example is. At a, at a particular school I was working on, um, the, uh, um, in the design had a unit put in to where you could not physically get to the unit to service it. You could not get up there with a genie lift. You could not get up there with a ladder. It was just up there. I, after all the other installation was done, that unit was up there forever and 
the school decided we're not going to run it unless it's an extremely, extremely hot day. So here we wasted a bunch of money because they, the way they designed, the architect built the, the building, the way the mechanical guy had to put it in that area. Um, there's, you can't pull the compressor out of it. You can't even change the filter. So um, I would say for an architect or engineer that if you haven't gotten your boots wet and your hands dirty, you need to go do that. Absolutely. No, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. If you if you've never seen your stuff installed, because even with uh, in, even with the BIM modeling that's going on and uh, um, out there, it's being able to realistically see it in three D, real life is right. dramatically different. Yeah, and don't forget that's to like uh, they built this brand new beautiful school for us, and for some reason they put these big huge uh, exhaust ventilators on the top. That look like, you know, the exhaust ventilators for a kitchen? You know, you ever see them on a restaurant? Mm -hmm. Well, there's these ones are, are like six foot diameter and they're on the roof line. It's like, why didn't you put something around that the architect? Why didn't you cover that up? It's like, it's unbelievable. It's like, I'm, I just couldn't get over it that you got these three big ventilators sitting on top of the roof that are exposed. There's no screened in thing around it to make it decorative or anything like that. And, you know, architects are all over making it look uh, pleasing to the eye. Oh, well, absolutely. this is, this looks, makes it look like a double tech or chicken house with, with ventilators on top of it. Um, so, you know, that aspect, I think walk a day in our shoes, uh, go talk to the people that are installed. And another thing is how many buildings, have you ever been in that no matter what building you go in, there's a room that's hot and there's a room that's cold and I don't care who designed it, who built it, whatever you could go to the uh, empire state building, or you can go to a brand new facility that was just built and you walk in, there's going to be a room that's hot. The room that's cold. They just can't get it right. <laughs> you, you ever wondered that? Oh, you know, yeah. Even in the even in residential homes, you can put everything you want in, into your CAD drawing. You can have right soft figured all out. But when you design it and put it in, once you get it in, there's always that factor that this, this room by my son's bedroom is always so warm, but this one is always so cold. And it, you can go in there and try to balance it out, and it still won't work. I've never seen a building built that has constant the same temperature in every room. You know, um, have you? No. Matt, have you, you, you think about it, you know, so, uh, and a, another thing is design engineers, quit shortchanging us on BTUs. I know you're trying to keep it within budget, and I know you're trying to keep it to where uh, the costs are down, but don't sacrifice comfort and humidity. Oh, my God. Humidity control is a big thing. So... Um, I know from the uh, one school I particularly worked in, the entire trade wing was the first year we were in it was perfect. But then the maintenance guys got a hold of the program and it went to hell in a handbasket. Oh, I guess I could say that. It went, it went south. Um, it went south pretty bad. And uh, we were running 75% humidity. And with all the doors shut, no bay doors open, nothing, uh, 75% humidity. 
that's pretty hot. At set, and, and it was 73 degrees. Uh, yeah. And that was that was something from uh, somebody getting in and tweaking something. You know, that's where the maintenance guys dabbled their hands where they shouldn't have been dabbling. Yeah, that's uh, 73 and 73% relative humidity. That is not a comfortable situation. Nah, it's not comfortable. So luckily, you know, I teach HVAC. My classroom and my shop were comfortable. But the whole wing, the hall, uh, everywhere down that wing, carpentry, masonry, uh, electrical, they were all sweating. <laughs> all the... oh, terrible. So, um, all, all great stuff. All great stuff, Butch. Um, any any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Of all the trades that I learned while I was in the Coast Guard, diesel mechanic, worked on air compressors, worked on high-pressure uh, air compressors that shot torpedoes. I worked on gasoline engines. I worked on Loran Station Towers. And um, the most reward that I ever got was when I got out of refrigeration school I got put on a ship and the ice machine had not worked in six months. And within uh, about three days, I had it up and running. And there's no better feeling than that. You know, when you go to somebody's house and their AC don't work, they think you're magical. And, you know, then they go, well, how much is it going to cost? Then, you know, you get into a whole other aspect of the trade, which I can't stand. But the fact that you walk in and something broke and you fix it, um, that's one of the most exhilarating things that I found in the trade that I like is when you get to some place and somebody says, there's been three service guys here before you, I'm sure you're not going to be able to figure this out and you figure it out. You know, you, you make them comfortable to me that that's the biggest reward that kept me in the trade and kept me in HVAC instead of doing something else. And actually it's kind of funny because, this summer, I'm off studying how to get my life and health insurance license to sell health and life insurance because it's easier on my body. But boy, is it difficult. <laughs> it's a difficult online online course. But I'm looking down the future because this old fat guy can't get in the attics and under the crawl spaces anymore. And my knees and back are about blown out. Um, so I'm looking for another avenue. Being I, I don't think I'll ever quit working. They'll just find me stoved up dead one day uh, at work or at home because <laughs> uh, I don't see retirement in my future. Yep. You just got to look for a uh, another uh, another episode, another season in your life. Yeah. To, uh... Another season, yeah. And I am a musician, so I love playing music. Um, I've never made it big playing music, but I, I love uh, beating on my drums and playing classic rock and uh, blues and R&B stuff like that. I got, I'm in a local band and, uh, we play out once, twice a month. So that's my, that's my hobby now, uh, that and hunting and fishing. So that keeps me sane camping. But, um, I love the trade. always have always probably will. And I, I like the aspect that I can try to recruit and get more kids interested in it because we need them. We need the, the guy inside my house right now that is, was a helper four years ago doing a shower install in my house. And now he's that lead installer and he's doing the bathtub in the other, other bathroom. So, um, with a local company. 
And I was like, he's, he's a millennium. And I'm like, man, where, where are you by yourself today? You, you don't have a helper? He goes, no, he called out sick. He said, you know, kids today, you can't get them to do anything. And I'm thinking <laughs> this guy's like, he's like 20, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. And he's already talking like an old timer, you know, it was kind of funny, yeah. but I appreciate you, uh, asking me to, uh, to talk to you guys. And, uh, I, I hope you engineers and architects, uh, uh, wish you the best and, uh, go out there and get your hands dirty. Don't believe everything that the CAD drawing shows you or that, uh, right soft tells you. Absolutely. Well, Butch, I appreciate the time you've taken and uh, you know, given us some, uh, some uh, insider information on the maintenance and service aspects. No problem, Matt. You have a wonderful day. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Butch Asbell, for taking the time to chat with us. Check out the show notes for a bunch of links that he mentioned in the interview. You can find those show notes over at HVAC360.com slash 139. All right, well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this is helpful. If you know somebody who's looking to get more information and educated about this topic, why don't you pass this episode along? It'll really help uh, by spreading the word uh, via mouth. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, if you haven't joined my list of subscribers, go over to HVAC360.com for more trick-or-treats in the form of weekly updates and if you're so moved to do more, I'd greatly be honored if you'd consider me leaving a rating uh, or review over at Apple Podcasts. And also, we're on YouTube. So go over there and subscribe. Um, I, once I hit a certain number, I can do some live streams and things like that. So that'll be uh, that'll be helpful if you can help me do that over at YouTube. Just go over to YouTube and uh, search HVAC360. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. 